Brothers and sisters, good evening. Let's turn to our copies of God's Word. In John 21, we will have the reading of Scripture from there. And then, as the Lord enables me, I'll bring to you God's Word. John 21, please follow in your copies of Scripture or as is projected on the screens. This is God's Word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out, of, got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. As for the reading of God's word, and let's remember that all men are like grass. All our glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass with us, the flowers fall. But God's word abides forever. Let's ask for help once more. O Lord, creator of eyes that see and ears that hear, we sit at your feet this day. And as we think about this account that took place at the Sea of Tiberias, at the Sea of Galilee, we pray, O God, break thou the bread of life to us as you did it there. Kindly grant to us eyes that see and ears that hear. May you, O Lord, enable us as we leave this place to truly say, O oh, how we love your law. It is our meditation all day long. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thank the Lord for this opportunity to bring to you God's word. And this message, this night is about God's grace and God's mercy. As it is demonstrated in his pursuit of struggling and stumbling believers. I invite you to see how merciful Christ is. See how compassionate he is. And it is my hope that you will understand that he was not just those things to the disciples. He is those things to you and to me today who are his children. I may not know who you are, I probably do not know what you are going through right now, but I know how Christ interacts with sinners because I am one. And I can see how he dealt with sinners in his word. I also know how the devil fights me to keep me from really giving myself to the lavish fullness of God's grace. And it is God who enables us in this struggle to continuously come back to the straight and the narrow. It is my prayer, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, that out of this place as we go out, we would be able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 144, O Lord, why are you mindful of me? Why do you regard me? Oh Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? May the grace of God teach our hearts tonight. May his grace teach us to fear. And may our fears the same grace reveal. Relieve, sorry. The relentless grace of God for his children when they are reluctant is a theme that comes through in this text. Even when, for, even when 
we are shameful serial stumblers as his children. And this is not to cheapen grace. For the apostle makes it clear in Romans 6 that whereas it is true that where sin abounds, grace superabounds, we are not to continue any longer in sin. But the truth is, as we also see the other side of the coin, is God's grace for serial stumblers, for weak people such as we are, is such an encouragement as we journey on towards Zion. Many times we talk about the perseverance of the saints, and this is a doctrinal necessity that we indeed must talk about. But today, tonight, I want to point you to the root of this perseverance of the saints. I invite you to see the perseverance of our Savior. All the 12 disciples stumbled. They blew it from time to time. And in our passage tonight, we encounter seven of these disciples. They had recently abandoned the Lord. All of them had fled. All of them had abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ in the hour of his trial. They all walked away. They all hid. They all refused to be identified with him intimately in his trial and in his beating and in his death. Their spirit was willing, but their flesh was sadly weak. And even after the word had come through about the resurrection of our Lord, they are still hiding, perhaps a little afraid, not knowing really who they were, what was happening, and what was going on. And by the time we get to John 21, Peter decides, let's go fishing. Usually, when we fail, when we fail God, and lose our sense of hope for the future, we can very quickly go back to what is familiar to us. And that is what happens here for the disciples. What was familiar to them was fishing. Fishing had been their gig. And there is nothing bad about fishing per se. It could have been a platform for them to deal with their hunger, a platform for them to provide for the material needs of their families. Fishing could have been a solution to inactivity and idleness. We, however, need to remember that a lot of such okay things, as it is fishing in this case, can become God substitutes. A lot of good God-given things can become occasions for us to break the first commandment that clearly demands that we must have no other God before Yahweh. And we can list a bunch of good things. Sleep, food, family, marriage, money, children, jobs, studies, cars, and a bunch of many other things that I don't want to wear you with 
can become, easily become idols that we turn towards to comfort ourselves when we fail God and lose our sense of hope in the future. The Lord Jesus Christ had a plan for these disciples, a plan that was to change the world forever. He had chosen them. They did not choose him. He had clearly told them that fact. They were not volunteers. They had been conscripted. They had been appointed. He told them, I called you. I pursued you. I brought you into this thing. And they had responded to the call, yes. But it was God that picked them to be his disciples. In our passage today, I invite you to think, friends. See how God's love for us is not deterred. He is going after these disciples who have gone back fishing. And this is not the first time he is revealing himself to them after resurrection. It is not even the second time he is revealing himself to them after the resurrection. But the text clearly tells us in verse 14 that this was the third time he was revealing himself to them after the resurrection. Our king keeps pursuing us and lifting us and cleansing us and restoring us and loving us and bringing us again and again to the reality of his grace, his grace which is greater than our weakness. So please come and see. See our shepherd and his relentless pursuit of his disciples. Observe with me a number of things. First of all, the shepherd reveals himself again. He reveals himself again. He is the initiator of this. Verse 1 is very simple. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. Do you know how delicious it is to crave revenge? Probably you do. Because although it's morally perverse and ultimately unsatisfying, there is something intense about the pleasure that comes out of nursing a grudge. When somebody does something wrong to us, our anger smolders. And truth be told, there is something we enjoy about that feeling. In fact, some people can feed from their resentment for an entire lifetime. They say, I will never forgive that person for what they did to me. And they never forget because as much as they hate what happened, there is something they love about the taste of their own wounds. Who is the person that is hardest for you to forgive? Have you let go of every grudge or is there one that you still hold on to? Do you enjoy the tongue of some bitter old resentment? 
Now think about the difficulty, the pain, the shock, the bewilderment that comes not just from being hurt, but from being hurt by a person whom you love and who has said they love you. Whenever we go through such times when those we trust hurt us, we wrestle. We wrestle with such a deep sense of perplexity. And we struggle to forgive. But think about the side also of the one who hurts, the one whom he loves. When we have to our shame hurt those whom we deeply love and care for, Though the person who is a victim of our heart struggles with sorrow and grief and pain, we also struggle with sorrow and grief and pain and even despondency. As Christians, we ask the person we have offended for forgiveness, and then in our desire to protect them from ever hurting them again, we tend to make take the action of stonewalling them and pulling back so that we never hurt them again, staying away from them lest we cause them pain again. Let's think about the disciples going back fishing. They have seen the resurrected Lord at least twice. What's happening here? We are not told. Had they gotten to a place where they just said, I had my chance, I blew it. I believe in the resurrected Lord, but I don't qualify to be his disciple anymore. And think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes here to the Sea of Tiberias, also the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Gennesaret, as it's described in Luke 5. The same sea described with different names. This is the place where he had actually called the disciples. And the disciples have gone back to the same place they were when they first met the Lord Jesus. They went back to familiar things. And Jesus, again, noticed the wording comes to them, comes again to them. They are reluctant. He is relentless. And so he comes to them. The Bible says he reveals himself to them. It's obvious they are not preaching. They are not carrying out the great commission. They are not out casting out demons. They are not out healing the sick. They seem to be done. They are done, possibly, because they feel they are colossal failures. And the Lord initiates dialogue with these seven of the original 12. This is my point. My point is this. When the Lord puts his mark on somebody... When the Lord has a plan for somebody and redeems them, he will persevere and strengthen that person to run the race marked out for them with perseverance, 
to the very end. The Lord grants the disciples not just the opportunity that he is present there, but he grants them the discernment to realize it is the Lord. He could have been there at the seashore all that time, and unless he grants this, they would have gone back home not knowing that it had been the Lord who was there. He opens their eyes, and in verse 7, John says, it is the Lord. He is not just present, but he opens their eyes to that reality. He reveals himself to them. And in verse 12, we are told, they, all of them, knew it was the Lord. And then the Apostle John, in verse 14, tells us, it was the third time he revealed himself to them. So, having observed that the Lord revealed himself again, also observe how the Lord initiates and enables communion with these disciples. Think about some of the things that are obvious here in the text that point to his initiating and enabling mercy when it comes to restoring or bringing about communion with the seven. Think about his kindness. Think about verse 5. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? What would have been your language towards the disciples if you showed up at the seashore and were getting their attention? Would children be the word you use? At what decibel level would you be speaking? They've stepped on your last remaining nerve, humanly speaking. I mean, how many times does the resurrected Lord need to show himself to somebody before they take seriously the fact that he is Lord and God? And we can easily ascend up our high horses and look down our nose at the disciples. But so many times, like them, we go back fishing. Like them, we must say, there goes I, but for God's grace. The Lord is kind in dealing with the disciples. And he reaches out with kind words. Children, do you have any fish? And also notice that the Lord initiates and enables communion through wise denials. The Lord mercifully grants these disciples, skilled fishermen, empty nets. He ensures they are members of Empty Nest Baptist Church for that night. Worked hard the whole night. Their nets are empty. Just as the day is breaking, 
the Lord shows up and uses this afflictive providence to remind them of John 15:5. without me you can do nothing many times we think that without the Lord we can do some things especially those things that we have previously done successfully we quote John 15 5 the many times we don't seriously hold on to it without the Lord we can do nothing the truth is if God does not work in a way to make things happen those things soon happen and this is not to say that a person going through afflictive providence is doing so because the Lord is chastising him or her there are many who go through afflictive providences not because they are being chastised for sin or any such thing but the Lord here wisely grants denials he says no to their efforts at fishing as a way of enabling them to come back to him also do notice that the Lord initiates communion and enables communion by granting directions again some of us may have shown up at the beach and said aha it is me Jesus I told you without me you can do nothing but what does he do he tells them cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some why why not just summon them to the show and then give them a dress down give it to them as they deserve he gives them direction so they cast their net and now there is so much fish so that again we see here the Lord enabling initiating communion by granting abundant yet controlled provision full nets without a tear verse 11 tells us so Simon Peter went abroad and hold the net full of large fish 153 of them and although there were so many the net was not torn please remember that the Apostle John is writing the gospel somewhere around 60 years after these things happened John is looking back 60 years later and look at the details of verse 11 this was such a powerful moment in the lives of the apostle and John burned it in his mind why was it so powerful why did this end up being crystallized in the mind of John a person who 
was most likely older than anyone who is in this room at the time he is writing this. He still can remember, we counted 153 fish so many times just by the end of the day I'm struggling when I'm doing my financial journal to remember where I spent money. He can remember 60 years later. Some of us can't remember what we ate for lunch yesterday. And not because of weekend capacities, but just because we, we are creaturely, we are people with such feet of clay. Brothers and sisters, I invite us once more. Let us heavily emphasize what the Lord has done for us. Let us be constantly seeing what God has done for us. Because this helps in magnifying his mercy and his grace for us in our struggles. Also do observe that the Lord initiates and enables communion by granting discernment to the apostle John they're able to see, ah, it is the Lord. In fact, all of them do acknowledge it is the Lord. And he also grants devotion. Don't we love the Apostle Peter jumping into the water? He, he doesn't wait for, for the boat to arrive at the shore. He just, he just jumps in. It is the Lord. He is not going to be this dignified chap who behaves in a particular way because he wants his status within the bourgeoisie to be sustained. He sees that's the Lord and he pursues the Lord. He pursues hard after the Lord. The Lord grants not just discernment, he grants this devotion that will many times surprise us when a brother comes to us and they open up and they say, hold me accountable concerning this. And they're not playing around with their desire for holiness. They are submissive to the fact that they know they need the gifts of the brethren to help them walk on the straight and the narrow. And they are not going to pretend so that their position within the aristocracy is maintained they'll be able to say, I am weak in this area. As Pastor Mark was telling us in the morning, knock my office. I know you love me. Knock my office at any time and ask me hard questions concerning this and that. Such devotion is granted by the Lord to these disciples. He grants not just discernment to the apostle John, but the strength to say it. So many brethren will at times see something that they ought to speak about for the sake of the brethren, but they don't talk about it. They withhold that privilege of stirring up the others unto love and good deeds. Not the Apostle John. The Apostle John speaks out, it is the Lord. Please don't withhold your ministry to this church. Please don't withhold that which you need to give to the others in whatever way. Don't withhold it by not coming to church. 
Don't withhold it by not speaking out. Don't withhold it by sitting on the gifts that the Lord has given you, which we need. You may be seeing something we are not seeing. And which the Lord, in his relentless mercy towards us, requires you, as he did require with the Apostle John, to talk about. We see devotion in the fact that at some point we are told in, uh, in verse 10 that the disciples, having come to the Lord, and the Lord says, it's, it's verse 12, sorry, come and have breakfast. Having been told that, we are told none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? And I wondered, why is the apostle using the word dared ask the Lord? Were they tempted to ask the question, who are you? The use of the word dare there is a strange thing because were they tempted to ask the Lord, who are you? Because if they are, it helps me to see something. There are many times when we know that we shouldn't be this daring to ask some questions. Somebody reaches out to you and tells you, hey, as the Lord's representative, they tell you, hey, you're going astray. And unlike the disciples, we sadly are daring. We sadly shake our fists at such people and roll our eyes at them. May the Lord grant us what he granted the disciples, the humility not to be daring where we shouldn't be daring. The humility to be able to see this is the Lord. This is the Lord who's come to me through this week, brother, this week, sister. It is particularly harder for us to resist that temptation to be daring when the person who's coming to us to correct us is himself or herself needy of correction. And yet it is a mercy upon us that the Lord is using them to reveal himself to us. And in our individualistic, increasingly individualistic world, not just here, but even back in Kenya, the temptation is very high to push away in very daring ways people whom the Lord brings our way to correct us. The Lord grants devotion. The Lord grants discernment. And then the Lord grants an opportunity for communion. He tells them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And he's not telling them that because he needs the fish. The scripture is clear that in verse 9, when the apostles get back to the shore, they find that the Lord has 
the fireplace and fish laid out and bread. That he invites them, come, let's commune. Let's have koinonia. He is pursuing them. He is inviting them. But this is what blows my mind. These are the first words he is speaking to them as they have arrived at the shore. You would have expected harsh rebuke for returning to their fishing days. Where were you tonight? But that's not what he asks them. Come and have breakfast, verse 12. It seems strange to me, but in spite of having invited them, it seems that they did not come. Because verse 13 shows something that is shocking. Such a humbling commitment from our Lord. Come and have breakfast. The King James actually would say, come and dine. And then verse 13 says, Jesus came to them. What is happening here? They didn't come to him. And then Jesus came and took the bread to them and gave it to them. And so with the fish. If I tell Josh, Josh, come up here. Let's have some coffee. Josh will get up and come up and we'd have coffee. But if Josh just sat back and I really, really wanted to have this mug of Starbucks with Josh, I'd get out of here and go to him and we would have coffee to them. They did not go to the Lord. Their reluctance, their fear, their hesitancy, possibly the awkwardness, that they were struggling with did not allow them to have the freedom to just go to the fireplace and sit down and have some fish and bread with the master. When the Lord doesn't pitch a feet, didn't I tell you to get over here? He gets up and takes the bread to them. Nathaniel, take. Peter, have some bread. John and James, take. Thomas, take. Yes, Thomas. Stop refusing. Thomas, take. And it seems that he does the same thing with the fish. He comes back with the fish. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you with this. 
The Lord's love is relentless. His commitment is beyond understanding. This was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to them. And we know there was a fourth time at the ascension with the commission. If it needed a hundred revelations for the Lord to heal our sickness, it seems to me that I should have the audacity to say and to say it with respect that he would do it. He is going to do it. The apostle says in Philippians 1.6 that we are confident in this, that he who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it to accomplishment. You are not going to be the Lord's first white elephant project. He has begun the work in you. He will bring it to accomplishment. Let's also, as we draw to a conclusion, observe the restorative dialogue with Peter. He talks to Peter. He talks to him personally. Some of us are so messed up that what we expect is that the Lord would just show up and really belt us, really just give it to us belt us and wear us out and scourge us. But here the Lord wears us out with his tenderness and his grace and his mercy. And this is not to cheapen grace. Proverbs 29.1 is very clear. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. So I'm not talking about the one who will not, the stiff-necked person who will refuse to hear the Lord and reject the free offer of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the broken men and women who turn to the Lord. In the words of John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, that tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession is not us informing God of the wrong we have done. He knows it. It's us agreeing with God. It's homologeo, saying the same thing concerning the sin as he does say. But that having been said, when the Lord is bringing us back, he thoroughly and properly brings us back. He indicts us, helps us to see the ugliness of sin, and helps us to see the grandeur of his mercy. And the things of this world pale into insignificance as we see how beautiful he is. And so the Lord had brought Peter to a place where he had been indicted, and he does that. 
hear once more a conversation where the Lord ensures that Peter is not just pardoned, but Peter is brought to that place where he sees his dependence on the Lord. And together with the pardon, he gives a calling. Feed my sheep. He tells him, tend my sheep. And one of the things we would know of a person who has truly repented of their sin is how they would conduct themselves concerning God's people. Because it's easy to look at this and say, this is for pastors, this is for shepherds, and the shepherds who are supposed to tend sheep and feed the Lord's lambs. But we need to realize that Peter is being told, if you love me, one of the chief ways it's going to be demonstrated is in how you deal with my lambs and my sheep. And there is much in scripture that would corroborate that. The entire book of 1 John over and over keeps telling us if we claim to love God whom we do not see and yet not love our brothers, we deceive ourselves. If we are constantly treating the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as some optional extra, some elective that we can opt out of, then maybe we have not had this moment with our Lord. And I don't know much yet about here. But think about situations where we attempted to opt out. Congregational meetings where we are supposed to be part of that effort to bring to bear the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning his church. What's your attitude towards that? A necessity or optional extra? Because you have gifts and the Lord has rescued you and put you here among other reasons so that you could care for God's people. If we are lackadaisical towards the people of God, it may be that we either are not children of God or we are very rebellious. And so I invite you to see what the Lord tells Peter with regards to God's people and to take it seriously. If God has been this loving and kind to you, please demonstrate love and kindness to God's people. Shepherd them as the Lord would enable you to do. Finally, I would encourage you to see that the Lord assures us of his work in us. He tells Peter, truly, truly, verse 18, amen, amen, I say to you, verily, verily, 
I say to you, in my own few words, you will finish well. You will finish well. When you are young, this was how you were. But amen, amen, verily, verily. And this is truth incarnate, saying truly, truly, I tell you, Peter, you will finish well. Because he's speaking, verse 19 tells us, he's speaking to Peter concerning the manner in which he would glorify God by his death. And by the time the apostle John is writing this, Peter is long dead. He has glorified God in this way. Dear brothers and sisters, the Lord will enable you to finish well. Remain steadfast, immovable in the Lord. Remember the words of Jude, that the Lord Jesus Christ is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Therefore, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. O oh Lord, as we look at ourselves, many times we think that our fundamental problem is inadequate technique or insufficient organization, antiquated methods. And so many times we squander resources, bandaging the scratches in these areas, while the hemorrhage in the real areas continue. And Lord, we know that our fundamental problem is that we rest inconsequentially upon you. Oh Lord, so many times your truth is distant, your grace is so ordinary. We sing amazing grace with no sense of amazement. But as we see the word today, we thank you that, Lord, you can do a work. Indeed, you are doing a work that will enable us to truly be able to say with the apostle, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. Our Lord and our God, we ask you, kindly grant us a heart of trust in Jesus Christ and a realization that no man can come to the Father but by him. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth all our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you.